Welcome once again to Jim and Pat's Glasgow West End chat. Everything about Glasgow's West End. My name's Jim Byrne and the Pat in the title is Pat Byrne. And this is episode 56. In this episode we've got a real treat for you, or Pat's got a real treat for you I should say. Pat speaks to me, Miles Thomas. Me and Miles Thomas was uh, a Glasgow-born, or was, is a Glasgow-born multi-award winning Scottish film director and screenwriter. May talks about, among other things, her latest film feature called La Voyages, which is, is it Voyages? Uh, not absolutely sure how to say that, but something like that. It's a film based on the life of her late mother-in-law, Erica Thomas. Erica was born in, in Hungary, 1933, came to the UK in 1938 and worked as a scientist during the Cold War. I'll leave it at that. You'll find out more during the podcast. In fact, I'll not talk much because I really want to get to the podcast as quickly as possible because I think you're really going to enjoy this one. As usual, if you are enjoying the podcast, please give us a good review, hit the five stars on whatever it is you're listening on and please get in touch. If you're listening and you're hating it, still get in touch and tell us what you're hating. If you're listening and you're enjoying it, please get in touch and give us a wee pat on the back. So I encourage us to continue to make these podcasts. Anyway, I'll shut up. Let's have a wee listen to Pat speaking to me, Miles Thomas. Me, Miles Thomas here today. Hello. Come over. I was very, very happy to get a hold of her um, because I was so interested to see that she was over in Dublin recently with her film. Aye, it was great as well. That was, I mean, I was delighted to see that Glasgow were going to the film festival, Mm -hmm. but you had actually been there before, hadn't you, yourself? Yeah, years ago I played at the Dublin Film Festival. I took my first feature there. And I've also done Galway a couple of times where other films are made. Um, and this came out of the blue because what happened was my film, um, Voyageurs, played at the Glasgow Film Festival back in the Eye of the Beast from the East. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of wiped yeah, out the, my, my audience. Actually, I was really pleased because about half the audience still turned up, even <laughs> though there was no public transport. There were no taxis, you know, just everything in the town was shut as well. So I was quite surprised to turn up and find that there was an audience there. Aye, so um, how this came about is Glasgow Film Festival happens roughly the same time as Dublin. And so they have a kind of association where if they're bringing guests over like from other places, mm-hmm. they tend to double up, you know, in the cost of mm-hmm. travel and things like that. So when Alison Gardner said to me, um, we'd like Voyagers to come and we're going to uh, play Super November next to it in Dublin. Are you up for it? I was like, oh, hi, hold me back. Yeah. That was one of the two films, the two Yeah, films. yeah, because um, it was, well, it was uh, supposed to be a showcase of new Scottish films. Mm-hmm. And I felt a bit odd because um, on the surface, there's nothing really remotely Scottish about my film. <laughs> it doesn't seem very Scottish at all, but nevertheless, it was made by me That's and... Uh, there. Uh, oh, hi, hi, I know. It's, oh, goodness. Um, I, well, I, I, it took a long time, and uh, it's. I don't even know how you begin to describe how it all came about because it was an idea that I'd had for a very long time after my mother in law sadly passed away in 2004. And I'd, uh, I'd written a short story based on her experience of having the builders and then not being able to get rid of them. And I don't I don't really know why I started writing it. But as I went through all her stuff and this uh, this took a process of years, going through all her possessions and reading all her diaries and things and I just thought I thought I knew this woman. I didn't really know that That's much about her. Mm-hmm. And it was partly because of the way she was because she was quite a Quite a, a you know an, an introverted you know retiring soul and she and because she was so used to living on her own, she didn't really know how to talk to people properly. I know it sounds odd, um, but so it was through her mainly her diaries that I came to know what, what was going on in her head and she'd she'd suffered depression for quite a long time as well and she was 
get on all kinds of pills for the doctors. And because of her background as a former zoologist, she kind of experimented on herself <laughs> with do, di do, different dosages at different times of the day. And she kept meticulous records about all this. And also all the stuff in the house, because, I mean, you've heard about these hoarders who keep, <laughs> keep loads of things. Um, and she had like three houses worth of furniture on the one house because she'd all her mother's stuff when her mother mm -hmm. moved um, from down south, just outside Croydon. When she, that house got sold, all the stuff came up to Edinburgh. And then she had, um, Erica, my mother-in-law, had another house in Edinburgh. And so she brought all the stuff for that back to this one house where she was, she always felt she was happiest in this house. It's where her and her husband bought it just no long after they got married. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't want to say too much because it would be a spoiler for the film, right. what actually happens. But the, she ended up moving house to Morningside. Mm -hmm. And it was always a dream to move back to the house up in Kelton Hill, mm -hmm. where she was originally. Aye. So it was nice to go to Dublin. The screening was wonderful, actually. There's, uh, the Scottish government's got an, an Ireland office. Right. I think gradually what's happening is the Scottish government is open, opening up all these unofficial embassies all over the place. <laughs> and so they, uh, they hosted a wee, um, a wee do for us. Yeah. And, and the it, Irish are so, um, like, they love fun and an event. You know, yeah. Oh, no, it was a great night and really busy as well. Great audience. And I did a Q&A and it went down really well. At one point, the audience just burst into applause spontaneously. <laughs> that was nice. That was good. No, I, do you know what? I mean, I, honestly, um, I'm not a, like a film buff or anything. Mm -hmm. I love going to pictures. I, I really love going, I love the GFT. I love when the film festival's on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I update it every week. You know, I, I update I've got what's in Glasgow City. Yeah. And I look and I see what's happening. Like there's this new Seymour Centre, you know, if there's anything. Aye, that's right, aye. That's in Mary Hill, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And up up stuff like that's on maybe CCA, stuff like that. But, um, and so I was really interested when I saw that, as I say, La Voyages was um, going to um, Dublin. But then, so then I, I looked, I cannot believe how many awards you've won. I don't, I, I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think I've spoken to anybody that has won more awards. I Well, that's a good question. A lot of folk have been, they don't know who I am at all. You've done so well. Kinda, I mean, kinda, everything you've done Scotland, Scotland's least famous filmmaker, I, I think. I mean, everything you've done has been, like, so well, you know... Received and and your and your writing. I've just been really lucky, I think. So I, I, oh, I mean, because well, you're doing like the writing, the directing. I well, this is this is a more recent recent thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then they came about it through the photography. So you do the photography. Aye. I mean that is amazing. Well, it's. I think what it is is, I've been doing this for quite a long time. I mean, I started in television in London in the mid 1980s. Mm -hmm. And that's when it started. Now, I've been doing this for 34 years. And I think along the way, I've just acquired a really strange set of skills. Mm -hmm. You know, I've just, because I'm interested. Yeah. I really wanted to know how things work. You know, it was partly out of fear because when I was at the BBC, I made a strange sideways career move. I was a designer mm -hmm. originally. I used to do set, to set, set design. Yeah, that's right. And when I got the... I got the opportunity to direct uh, documentaries for music and arts and um, I, I was just terrified that I might get caught out if I didn't didn't understand like how the cameras worked and stuff. And so I bought myself a camera and learned how to break it down and, and, it was, and I'd always been interested in photography anyway. So, you know, it was, um, so that came about and I've just, over the years I've just watched other people and I've had the chance in my commercial work to work with really world-class cinematographers and editors and you pick up stuff along the way. And I think what's happened more recently um, is, you know, certainly my last two films, um, I was really just forced into doing everything myself because the timescales involved were so long mm -hmm. and the money was so short mm -hmm. <laughs> that I couldn't really um, keep a crew in standby. 
I wasn't in a position where I could actually hire anybody. Mm-hmm. And certainly for the last one, I had no funding at all. I mean, I had tried to get funding mm-hmm. with uh, sort of previous incarnations of this project, but had no success with the public mm-hmm. funders. So I just, you know, I made a decision. I got out of my bed one day and I said, I'm going to just go and make this. I'll make it. However, I don't know how, but you. I'm going to do it. And I realised that if you bring all of those skills together, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, it's entirely possible. I mean, I've proved it you know, a couple of times now. And I really enjoy working um, on my own. I really, I think I've come to a point where I've worked with big crews before mm-hmm. and I think I'm kind of rubbish at managing people. <laughs> I quite like the solitary nature of what I'm doing now, where, where previously maybe you'd have a crew of about, I don't know, 40, 50 people and a big cast, as mm-hmm. I did have in my, my second, my first and second feature films. Um, and I just... I thought, you know what, I can't be bothered putting out the energy to tell other people what they should be doing. And that's and the thing is, is, as a director, which is what I'm probably, being a director, it's your job to make every single decision because if you don't, somebody else will make it for you. That was a piece of advice I, I did give to somebody about directing one time. Well, I suppose if you're, you know, when once you've got skills, if another person is doing that thing, it must be quite difficult because you, 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 you know, quite often... Oh, there's a wee bit of that, but, you know, the trick is just work with people who are much better than you, you know, and, uh, but I've just, it's not been planned, really. I mean, this has just evolved over years and it's just been a matter of, you know, it was just been practical. For instance, in 2007, I won the Creative Scotland Award for a thing called The Devil's Plantation. I saw that and I saw that... Which is my big Glasgow and, film. Uh-huh, and... Oh, so that came, you, you get an award for the website as well? Um, uh, well, what it was, was um, the Scottish Arts Council who gave out the award, it was the last year they were doing these awards, and I thought, if I don't try for it now, I'll never, you know, I'll never have another chance. Because I'd looked at it for years going, that's quite a lot of money, can I pass myself off as an artist? <laughs> <laughs> Rather than as somebody who... And I actually came back to bite me, because when I got, when I got awarded the, uh, the money... Um, and they said to me, oh, and by the way, we don't want you to make a film. Because they regard architects and filmmakers as working in some kind of commercial field. So they, they kind of prevented me from just doing a straightforward film. Which I thought was odd because it is what I proposed. And I thought, well, why did you give me the award? And then tell me that I'm not allowed to... They probably worked out pretty much. And so what I did was I kind of sneaked a, sneaked a film out of it. Because I said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to do this interactive website with all these different destinations in Glasgow. It's about Glasgow's secret geometry. And uh, it's about a guy called Harry Bell who wrote this book. And it's about this wee woman called Mary Ross who I eventually found. But I'd found her case notes from Leverdale Psychiatric Hospital. And, you know, because me and my brother had broken into the place. It was a bit of urban exploration in our part. It was at the bottom of the road where we lived. And so bringing these two stories of Harry and Mary together... Mm-hmm. And it, f- it evolved over years as well. I, at first, I, I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do with this because initially it was just about Harry's book, mm-hmm. and he'd went in this quest to find whether Glasgow was laid out to some occult pattern, mm-hmm. and that's why I mentioned uh, Kilpatrick Hills earlier because yeah. I ended up up there quite a lot. <laughs> as um, I was also, I was all over the city for two and a half years, and I just went out on my own with a flask of tea and sandwiches, mm-hmm. and just shot. You know, at each of the locations it was mentioned in Harry's book or in... So where, where were the different locations? Oh, it was all over the city and sort of beyond the city. Um, it was like what Harry described as... Um, he, he, he had this thing called PCLs mm-hmm. and it, it was similar to ley lines, but yeah, he didn't yeah, like the term ley line. He okay. thought it was a bit too new agey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he came up with this thing called the PCL and uh, stands for Prehistoric Communication Line. Mm-hmm. And he reckons that, you know, in Neolithic times, with all, all the Clyde Valley was all forest mm-hmm. at that time. Um, but people, you know, who had settled would maybe live up in the hill somewhere mm-hmm. and they'd light a fire and they'd notice that their neighbour 12 miles away had also lit a fire. And gradually these people would make tracks towards each other. Mm-hmm. And so that was your, like, your first ancient trackways mm-hmm. forming. Um, and so it was all to do with that. And it was so it was all over the city. It was everywhere from the necropolis to Queen's Park mm-hmm. to out in Eaglesham mm-hmm. to the Devil's Plantation itself, which is a real place. Mm-hmm. 
It's between Eelsham and Newton Mearns. I bet you tourists would love to come and do that, have a tour of these places. Well, it's funny because I've had some good feedback for this and a lot of people said, oh, I was out at the weekend and I took the kids on a trip to this place that you mentioned. And I know. So I, I know I'm wandering off the point a bit, but the Devil's Plantation was... That's okay, I haven't got any points. It was... You carry on. <laughs> it was a... Well, really, um, making it was just a way of me um, experimenting with different kinds of storytelling. Because I thought, if I'm not making this as a straightforward film, and I'm doing it as a website, because the website came first, mm -hmm. and what happens in the website is you, the viewer, get to choose the journey that you want to go on. Mm -hmm. And there's all these points in the map, and there's wee lines get drawn on it, and you travel all over. And at each um, place... You've got a choice of like two films, and it plays by random, so you don't know if you're going to get a bit of Harry's story right. or a bit of Mary's uh -huh. story. And it all seems a bit bonkers because it's all out of sequence, mm -hmm. but it comes together at the end. Mm -hmm. And so, what happened was after that, I decided well, I never decided, my husband decided that I was going to make a full length feature <laughs> version of this. And it was a fate accomplished because he said, Oh, I've been on the Glasgow Film Festival, I've told them that you're making a film of this. <laughs> I was like, Well, you never told me. <laughs> and so I had something like six weeks to put the whole film oh together goodness. for scratch, for using all the wee short films, and I had to join them all up together. Mm -hmm. And I got um, my good friends, Gary Lewis and uh, Kate Dickey, to do the voiceover. Mm -hmm. So one is, they're, they're not actually playing characters, but um, Gary voiced Harry's story mm -hmm. and, and, and Kate so voiced happened. Mary's story. So, it, it, was so it worked out brilliantly. It's, it's so imaginative. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's very, very different. Isn't Aye. It? Well, I won um, one of the BAFTA New Talent Awards in 2010, but that was just for the website. Mm -hmm. It was like in the best in, interactive that, category. The, 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 the website and then, but, but I mean that that was a fantastic accomplishment given that you're not coming to it as a web designer. No, it was the first. It was the first thing, first time I'd kind of dabbled in that stuff. Fantastic. And so, for that point of view, it was a really good learning experience for me. Um, but then, when the film got, when we did the film version, it played to the Glasgow Film Theatre, and it sold out. I couldn't believe it. I'm thinking, who's going to come and see this? So, oh, no, so we think black set in Glasgow, it's just black and white, it's just me having done everything. I know, I think... But the trick was, I used the word psychogeography. <laughs> because it is a kind of a, you know, what they call a derive, it's a meander around the city. And it's all to do with, like, sort of place and memory. And and um, and so I, I kind of designed it as such. And I think that was, it was just one of those things where people latched onto it. Mm -hmm. So it sold out and I... I was in the projection booth when it played. I was too feared to give it. <laughs> and even the the four usherettes stood at the back and they all watched it uh, on 93 minutes or whatever it is. something like that means more than anything. Because they must see so many films. Aye, and, and I did a Q&A after it and it all worked out lovely. And mm -hmm. eventually then it got a, another BAFTA nomination for, um, and it was an audience award thing, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, with, in association with Cineworld. Oh, World. the audience award... Ones, they're, they're so important because mm. I mean that is a you know people that are not going to Aye. people can't even bother sometimes voting for it so they've got to really really like something oh. before they, they actually for sure. the move Aye. Mm -hmm. Well, I found that, um, funnily enough this year when Voyages played at the Glasgow Film Festival because the weather was so bad I realised that a lot of people couldn't actually get there mm -hmm. So what I did was I made the film available online for free. Mm -hmm. And I just said to folk, look, if you want to watch it, get in touch with me and I'll give you a code so that you can have a free free view of it. And what happened off that, and I never asked anybody to do this, but people were coming back with comments. And the comments were just amazing. And people saying how much they loved this film. Because yeah. I had no idea really what anybody was going Something to make I mean, of it. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely want to see want to see but it'll come back again you know it'll come back I'm sure it'll come I back I hope again. so but I think now that GFT have taken it to Dublin I'm almost uh, 100% sure they'll bring it back well the nice thing was was in August the GFT programmed it they had four screenings of it over a weekend and but I, whether or not it's got any theatrical life I think is you know um, it's moot because last week it played at the watershed in Bristol mm -hmm. and as far as I know now, sitting here, that's the last time it's played. It will play in a cinema. Is that right? I've got no. There's no um, any, no bookings on the horizon for it mm -hmm. because I don't have a distribution deal. Mm -hmm. It's a case of either getting people I know who are in the business to talk it up, mm -hmm. and 
suggest it to cinemas, mm-hmm. or, or it's me get picking up the I mean, phone and asking I cinemas. How, I mean, I don't know anything about how, how the whole thing works, but it always seems to me as if Scotland could be doing it a terrible lot better, because there seems to be a lot of talent about it, and Ireland seems to do pretty well. Ireland's got a great film industry. Uh-huh. So really strong what film. What needs to happen here? Because and a smaller population in Scotland as well. And, and you, you, you see um, every so often that something, no, they're talking about something or something else is, is being developed. But I don't know. It, it, it never seems to sort of come together. I think principally um, there's just been a lack of political will. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame the politicians really because... The film industry is really complex mm-hmm. and you've got to look at it one of two ways. Are you making? Are you in the business of making commercial cinema mm-hmm. or are you in the business of culture? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and basically Scotland has not got the infrastructure to support either, really. Um, and I think a lot of the thing that takes away from the idea of retaining talent in this country is just... You know, is that lack of infrastructure and the whole argument's been getting hijacked by the issue of the studio. Should Scotland have a studio? Mm-hmm. And as I was tweeting last night, you know, I think it'd be, I think it's necessary to build a studio here because you look at the likes of like what's going on in Belfast mm-hmm. and, and and Dublin as well. They've got all these big four-wallers that people can go in and shoot in and it attracts um, films from all over the world. Mm-hmm. The difficulty that we have here is... You've got series of tax breaks for um, film and high-end TV, which is a significant amount of money. You've got um, local money as well. You know, like I was reading about the council because um, Glasgow shut down the streets recently for the Fast and the Furious, mm-hmm. but it turns out that they're not actually accruing much money out of lending Glasgow as a location. Right. And then there's the public funders, that's like Screen Scotland, mm-hmm. who are responsible for dispersing public funds, mainly lottery money, to productions and you find what you find is somebody um, um, a, a, pro- a producer come and say from America will contact somebody based here to fill out the forms for them so in effect they become the bag man for the public money and it's quite the, and I think the guidelines are onerous as far as I'm aware I'm not even eligible for public funds because I can't fulfil the criteria so it puts you in a difficult position and I think I mean, I've been going on about this for years, and it's just I'm really bored with it See, now. See, when you say, um, you, you know, you understand that there's not the political will because <coughs> yeah. it's complex. Yes, it is. They don't think, understand the business. But you would think when they see how well it's doing in um, Ireland and also how there's been quite a lot more happening in Scotland, you know, with the, the, the outlaw kings and outlanders and stuff like that, mm-hmm. That, so the, the, there's all the scenery, you know, people come from locations. Sure. So if the politicians are not sure what it's about, then some sort of group should be set up with people like yourself and other There, there are actually groups. To, to feed into There them. are groups. There's um, the Association of Film and Television Practitioners Scotland, and there's a, I believe there's a producers group as well. I mean, I'm not part of any of that because mm-hmm. the... The film TV practitioners are mainly, you're talking about people who are in the crew, mm-hmm. mainly, you know, like um, production managers, location managers, that, that you know, um, as, a, as a maker, I'm what they call above the line, so I'm a writer, director, producer. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm, but I'm no part of any producers group either, because A, I've never been invited, and B, I'm not really that fussed because I've been part of so many talking shops for years and years now, and I just feel that, you know, we don't get listened to. I think it's improving. I think um, in recent years the government has begun to take notice of the benefits of having, um, you know, like incentives for film and television mm-hmm. to be based here and to try to retain the skills here as well. Because, I mean, pretty much every college now has, runs some kind of media course, media TV. course, film and TV yeah. course, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of them. I mean, I believe there's over 500 in Scotland alone. Mm-hmm. And you, you wonder, well, what happens to the people who are coming out of that? Mm-hmm. What kind of future yeah. have they got? Well, we, I mean, we had some involvement. We had, we had a, um, a book and CD that we put out, 10 Writers Telling Lies. Mm-hmm. And then we get support from um, 
two young filmmakers, and they had done a, a course um, down in the borders. Oh, right. Wasn't uh-huh. much about, um, you know, what university or whatever it was through. I think it was a sort of, um, it was that satellite from one university. Yeah. Uh-huh. But my God, they were fabulous. Uh-huh. And they knew, so, they knew so well what they were doing, you know, and telling us what to do and all the lighting and everything. I, so, there's, they, so there's lots of... There is a lot of talent out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it's a shame that the, the, the level of production isn't enough to, you know, fulfil all the talent that is out there. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people do have to leave. Well, a lot of people want to leave because yeah, uh-huh. if they want to work on really, really big films. But, but it seems like a lost opportunity both for, you know, job creating and also for... for and, and I know what you're saying about the, the culture. You know, is it for money-making or is it for culture? There's so, ma- so many interesting cultural things on the television, like you know, the, the Alba... Mm-hmm. And, and you know, often you see. I mean, there's been lots of the um, productions that have been shown then at the, the GFT that box were on the television. Don't know if you saw the um, film. It was Morris O'Brien that made it. It was about William McIlvaney. I've heard of it, but I've n- I never saw it. It was so good. Ah, right, aye, aye. It was, it was so good and. But that's just, you just see something like that every now and again. Yeah. And there could be so... so Well, it depends whether or not it was principally made for TV or whether it was made for a big screen. Mm -hmm. I mean, where I'm coming from is um, I'm I'm just interested in doing things like for cinema. I certainly saw it at Uh at the um, because it wasn't all that long before William McIlvaney died. Aye, that's right, I remember. And he was fabulous. And I always remember him saying that he was so blown away because it had started off it was going to be shown in the wee cinema mm-hmm. but because they it moved, so it cinema. moved it to big cinema uh-huh. I, so I, I remember reading about so that he was so humble yeah. um, and it was really really brilliant you know, uh-huh. um, you know I just loved the way, the way it was done and um, him chanting to his brother and you know, talking about their family and then you know his work there, there are so many um, candidates even for that, and then with your even with, with your mother-in-law, you know, with you um, making the film about her. I mean, how many people? How many things are there? Well, I think I've never. I think every, well, I think everybody's got a story. Mm-hmm. I think we've all got stories to tell, mm-hmm. and there are the stories here. I think the problem is, is um, because we don't control our own television here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, that's an issue. Um, I think if um, Scotland had true true power over its commissioning, then you would see a lot more things getting made here. Because it seems to me that I don't really know a lot about um, te- TV commissioning, but it seems everything has to get run past somebody, some office in London. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about the BBC, yeah, I would say that a lot of the. I mean, I love a lot of the, the BBC productions, but the um, say that a lot of the. Um, well, the production the companies... That, 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 that doesn't actually come back. Aye, that's, that's right. There's a, um, aye, there's a discrepancy between licence fee revenue and what, what the actual spend is in, in Scotland. Because that um, was recently the drama The Cry. The Cry, aye. Because Clear's yeah. company made that synchronicity. And, that, that, and, yeah. and it's been really successful as well. And hats yeah. off to Clear. Uh-huh. Because I think it's just a great achievement that she's managed to pull that one off, and I know that she's got other big projects in the offing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm dead sure. So I'm dead sure for her. Aye. The other, the other person I don't know that he does an awful lot these days, but um, I loved his film uh, way back. Um, Sergio Casque. Oh, yeah. aye, American Cousins. Uh-huh, I was Don Coots directed that. That was so aye, good. That film. Aye, um, aye, because I've I've met Sergio a few times as well I mean it is quite a small circle and I'm always surprised when I find people who are still actually doing it because mm-hmm. I've known a lot of people who've just had to give up over the years because there's no really any money in it I mean I'm in a fortunate position I've got a really supportive husband and whenever I do any commercial it pays me enough mm-hmm. it buys me the time to write because for me because for me it's all in the writing mm-hmm. and I've I've come up now with this way of telling stories that um it, you know, it really. I'm really trying to stretch what I, what stories on screen could be, and I'm, but I'm I'm doing it myself, and it's a big experiment. But I'm really trying to push narrative boundaries with what I'm doing, and I've got my next couple of things lined up already that I want to do, 
and it's just a case of sitting and concentrating on it. Um, so you know, so one way or another, you know, it's good that films are getting made. But boy, would I like a payday for doing I this? Know. I would love, you know, I'd love somebody seems, to fund it me. It's bizarre, you know, that um, you know all that creativity and to produce these things that people are loving and they're winning lots I know, of awards. I know. And Go figure. But it's. But I don't carry a sense of entitlement. Nobody's twisting no, my arm up my back. No, it's a little bit bitter about it. No, at all. It's no doubt during the future. No, because actually I'm having a great time because I get to do what I want. As soon as you start to engage with distributors or uh, third-party funders, then people just um, place demands on you, and I don't have that. And that brings a different kind of pressure because it's, you know, me, myself and I, I'm responsible for what it is I make. And... That can be quite tricky, you know, because you just you want to get it right, but quite often it's nice to work with other people, so you know, and have other people's opinions. Mm-hmm. But I think you know one of the, the reasons I'm I'm resistant to um, engaging with public funders is, you know, I think films are one area um, where public money's involved, where um, there's demands made on you in a way that is not asked of an artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nobody is telling Douglas Gordon what to, how to do his art. Mm-hmm. But where a film's concerned, everybody's got an opinion. Mm-hmm. And that's what that, you know, and that's something that I just disagree with. Because I'm thinking it's a matter of faith. If you think I'm any good, have some faith that I'm going to produce something good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that lack of faith that is, um, you know, I just... I just find it a bit off-putting. Mm-hmm. So I'm quite happy doing what I'm doing. Well, that, you know, that, that's it. I'm not <laughs> very, very good at it. I mean, what, what um, I was wanting to ask you was, and I know you went to Glasgow School of Art. Yeah. So when was that? Oh, oh, years and years and years ago. You know, it was funny. I walked into the Watershed uh, Cinema in Bristol last week and the guy who runs that, there's a guy called Mark Cosgrove. And the woman I was dealing with said, Mark told me to tell you that his dad taught you at the art school back in the day. That's amazing. I graduated 38 years ago, 1980, I graduated. Yeah. I, I graduated in 1982. Oh, right, so? What, first, first time I went uh-huh. back. But um, not from Glasgow School of Art, from Glasgow University. But what, oh, right. but when you went to the art school, what was your intention then? What, what was your? It was design. I never really. I, I, I did. I, I did design. I did. I actually did printed textiles, but the course was really. It was really flexible. You were allowed to kind of go off and do what you wanted. So you could do it from screen printing, to photography, to you know making beautiful fabrics and beautiful print making. Um, and my work ended up getting quite big and quite sculptural. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had a half an idea that I'd like to get involved in set design. Mm-hmm. I thought. That was a possibility. Mm-hmm. And in fact, at one point, I looked at doing a two-year postgrad in London at the Slade um, in theatre design. And I went down and I thought, I don't know how I could possibly survive as a student in London. It was just too big and too scary for me, coming from Glasgow, of course. So, uh, so I decided not to. And instead, what I did was I joined up with some local theatre groups. Mm-hmm. And just in my spare time, I was like, on a kind of voluntary basis. Mm-hmm knocking up sets for them, which was great practice for me. Uh-huh. And so that way I was able to build up a portfolio. So when I got offered a job, when I went for a job at the BBC in London mm-hmm. and the BBC, it was only meant to be a temporary job and it ended up lasting Once for years. You, aye, aye, aye. <laughs> I know. Um, and that was me stuck. Uh, and so that's how it came about. Um, I'm, and I'm really glad that I went to London now, thinking back, because it was just such a good experience mm-hmm. and I lived in London for a few years. Did you? Uh-huh. As a teenager, I think it is a, it's so huge and so different. And yeah. Oh no! Even now, when I'm doing it, I still love it. Uh-huh. And I think that there there are many many opportunities in London that you would never find in Glasgow. Yeah. I think quite a lot of the art students in they need to go to London to get work. Of course, and that was a position I was in because. My day job at that time, I was used to run the adventure playground at Mary Hill, mm-hmm. next to the community central hall, um, and I get made redundant for that job. And I'm thinking, I'm 21 and I've just been made redundant. <laughs> this is not good <laughs> for my future. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, is this is this the way it's going to be? Like you maybe work, you know, like six months or a year, and then you're back out again and you end up doing something else. 
and there wasn't really a career path in it for me. It was the, I mean, there's so many projects closing at that time. Yeah, because it was this was funded through social work mm-hmm. department, yeah. and it was because of cuts that I lost my job, which, mm-hmm. and I loved the job as well. I really loved the kids because the kids were all barred for every other g- group <laughs> and community centre in the in the area. So I had all the really rough well, kids. Too adventurous, I, or, or wild, whatever way you want to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so then you. Um, you made the music, doc, um, sort of videos and. I did um, for years. And art. And that kind of that kind of came about by accident, but I ended up. It was uh, basically it was a band that I knew. It started off with it was a band called the Silencers, and I knew the guys in the band, and they had just spent lots and lots of money um, with some production company down in London. And they made this video, and the video was a disaster, mm-hmm. and this was like a, a late. Last minute request, they, they asked me and my then boyfriend if we could come up with a video. And, you know, there was well, there was not very much money in it. And it had to be done really, really quickly. And at the time, I was actually working on top of the pops, believe it or not. I was doing a, I was doing a three-day, three-day Christmas special as the designer on that. And while I was simultaneously... Um, doing this video up in Glasgow so it was all a bit bonkers editing in my house over the Christmas New Year period <laughs> to deliver it at the very, very beginning of January and that's how it just started and so from there got offered other jobs and and that was a great experience because you were shooting in film you were usually shooting in 16 or 35 mil you were getting to go down to London to sort of work with all these great post-production houses these facilities and you, you just learn a lot you learn a lot yeah. And meeting the stars. Well, I don't. I, I think I think I had that knocked out of me though, working at the BBC because you'd be standing in the queue at one of the tea bars, and there'd be somebody dead famous up front, and you just kind of go, "All right, you know, you know, don't, don't, you can't skip the queue. Come on." I had that a few times, telling people off, and you'd go up to the bar in the fourth floor of Television Centre. And they'd be like nuns drinking brandy, and smoking fags, and rubber monsters for some sci-fi thing. And it was—I mean, it was a great place to work. Really, really great. But I, so I enjoyed—I enjoyed my time in London. But I got to a point where I just thought, all I'm doing is working. I don't really have any kind of a life. And so I got the opportunity to come to work for BBC Scotland for a bit. So I did that for six months and then I resigned and went freelance. And it was from there I did more of the music video thing, which that was great. That was um, a big step to, to go on your own. It was actually because, um, unlike now, I was actually a staff member at the BBC, so it was like permanent job for life, if you wanted, mm-hmm. with a pension. Mm-hmm. And you don't really get, you don't get that now. Usually it's on a contract basis. Yeah. So... And I remember at the time my parents saying to me, are you sure, are you sure? And I'm like, aye, aye, you know, if I think about it too much, I'll think I'm probably, it's a really bad decision I'm about to make, but I had to go for it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't see me staying um, in London any longer, but neither did I really want to work for BBC Scotland because I thought it was too wee, Mm -hmm. too parochial. Well, I mean, you've certainly done so much and and done so well. Have you got any (coughs) sort of, on the cars at the moment. I'm working on a new film. Are you? Aye, and I'm out in the streets of Glasgow. I've already done so a wee a wee test shoot for it. Aye, um, I don't really want to say too much about no. it, but it's it's quite ambitious in its themes, and it's quite a serious wee story, um, and it's to do with young male depression mainly, um, because of you know like my family's experiences. I've lost both my brother and my nephew to suicide. And so I wanted to do something um, but that was a quite an original take on this idea. But it's not so much about the suicides themselves. It's about a causation. It's about mm. what is causing young people yeah. to be depressed. Mm. And if you look at the, the state of things as they are, um, a lack of opportunity, a lack of decent jobs, no sense of a future you know, or security mm. for folk, and so it's dealing with all of those right. issues, but hopefully I'm doing it in a way that will be, frankly, it's nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a bit nuts the way I'm doing it, but and I'm also doing it in German. Oh, right, right. <laughs> I, I'm doing an English language version, I'm doing a German language version, because um, my, my main protagonist is German in so the story. Do you speak German? 
Well, that's a good question. My <laughs> husband signed us up a month ago for a 16-week course in German at the Goethe Institute. I did. I lived in Berlin for two and a half oh, years. Well, um, my German's no no, very, it's no very good. <laughs> but I just thought, because um, I wouldn't I would translate my own script, for example. I'd get somebody to do that, because uh-huh. there are specialist companies that will translate uh-huh. screenplays. Well, um, and it's not that. It opens the market up. Because what I found with voice use is because it's all done in a kind of performed narration, it's quite limiting because it's very dense with the spoken word, the film, um, and it's made it virtually impossible to have it subtitled for any kind of foreign territories or any film festivals abroad. So I'd only really been limited to submitting to English language mm-hmm. film festivals. Know that I was successful because <laughs> I. Um, in fact, I get knocked back for every single festival. You did know. We've always used, yeah, everything I applied for. That is ridiculous. I get knocked back. It's because the film is coming out of nowhere, it's got no provenance, there's no um, a famous producer involved. Shan Phillips is a wonderful actress, mm-hmm. but it's because she's that older, people have forgotten about her. Because mm-hmm. um, she'll be 86 next year, and she mm-hmm. is incredible for her age. Mm-hmm. She's a, become a real role model for me because we've stayed in touch mm-hmm. since we were working together. And I we swap emails regular and texts and stuff. And she's I always telling she I she's um she's getting on. Um and I think it's just because, you know, she's no like sort of happening young actress and people are like Dame ja, Dame Shan Hu. And she's wonderful, she really is. And the great thing about working with older actors as well is they bring all that experience with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's incredibly experienced. I know when they talk about um, character actors, I always think that's because they've got a character. Yeah, <laughs> aye, they've got some kind of personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, it's, I mean, they kind of operate, I suppose, as in you know, in a different function mm-hmm. from a lead, a lead actor. Mm-hmm. But Shan's great. Shan's always working. Mm-hmm. She's away the new doing a film with Sydney Fury of all people. The guy who directed the Ipcrest file back in the day. Oh and it turns out he's the same age as her. Can you imagine? They're not <laughs> about in their eighties. The director's in his eighties and she's in their eighties. I mean, what is going on here? Well there's hope for me, yeah. That's the way I see it. Is I could be doing this into my dotage. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. No, I think it's I'm really pleased to hear you're doing that. The film and it's I, so that's that's the first thing. It's a weekend kind of interim project. I've got a much bigger project that it's set in America, it's set in Washington, and it's to do with a character who's mentioned frequently in Voyageurs, and that's a guy called Tom Polgar, who was a, like a founder member of the CIA, right. who was related to Eric and my mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. And I started looking into his history because it's really, really hard to find out anything about this guy. Mm-hmm because he was CIA, mm-hmm. and he wasn't one of these guys who, like, he never wrote a book, and nobody's ever written about him, but he's a really fascinating character, and um, when I looked up his obituary, because he died in 2014, um, the New York Times and the Washington Post carried full-page obituaries mm-hmm. of this guy, but I've been unable to find out anything, so all of last year... I just spent researching mm-hmm. his career. And you, did you enjoy the research? Aye, and he was he was writing to me though when he was alive. Um, mm-hmm. He sent me a copy of his life story. Mm-hmm. He typed it up himself because he'd had heart surgery, and his wife had said to him, "You need to write down your life story, mm-hmm. um, so you can pass it on to your, your children and grandchildren." And so he did that. But he sent me, I think it must be the original copy because it's got tipex redactions, oh, and I'm that. thinking. That makes sense. He was in the CIA after all. <laughs> so that's a much bigger, much more ambitious mm-hmm. uh, project. And I, th- and I want to do it as live action. And what about funding for either of those? I maybe? think um, what's going to happen with the American thing is I'm going to have to source finance out there. The thing in Glasgow, I'm just doing myself. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've got, you know, I've got everything I need to make it. You know, the physical production, I've got all the kit. I've got the cameras, yeah. I can do I'm all the really, sound. I'm um, interested in that. Um, Jim and I were involved, you know, I come from Uncle Patrick, you know, yeah. an awful lot of suicides off the Erskine Bridge. Aye, aye. So we, we got oh, involved with a project um, called the Butterfly Group. Oh, right. And we, we um, wrote a song called Can't Catch the Butterfly. Uh-huh. It's a beautiful song, and that was about su- su- suicide. Fun, raise funds oh, right. to get the um, barriers up on the bridge. 
So, wow. So my friend, Do you think that would, they would have been built anyway? Well, no, they are, they, are, they are there now. I mean, Western Bartonshire Council kind of did take it on board. The, the, the woman who was mainly involved, and I'm still, I still see Anne an awful lot, um, Anne Morgan, where she was absolutely force behind it. She's a fabulous person. Mm-hmm. And her, um, Hamish, who had been her husband, it took his life off the bridge. And then, unfortunately, last year, her daughter, Twenty-eight-year-old committed suicide. No oh sign goodness. that there was anything, anything wrong. The, the, the family oh, was in shreds. So she's, bet. she's, yeah. um, she's always still working away with all these fundraising projects mm-hmm. in that area. And there's another guy you may have heard of him, Steph Shaw, the Glasgow cabbie. He writes poetry. Oh, I don't know. I don't know Steph this guy. Is wonderful. Uh-huh. Steph has um, been really protesting and this campaign going to get telephones along the Clyde. Well, so that's where my, that. well, my nephew jumped in the Clyde. Well, um, just that just just we're... Um, it's terrible. It's so sad. Just up by Bells Bridgeway. Aye, with the well, hydro. The, well, the, the staff said they need telephones along the so if somebody saw something... Well, this, phone. well this is what happened so, with my nephew because my nephew, people actually watched him as he jumped in. And really tragic because his body disappeared. He, the police were trying to trace him, and it took him a week. And what happened was the undercurrent took him out, but then it brought him back, brought him back in. Mm-hmm. So he was his body was discovered more or less at the place where he jumped. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it took a week to find him. And my brother, you know, obviously he was in bits. And but what's really good is <clears throat> somebody's made a documentary about my nephew because my nephew was really big in Glasgow's hip hop scene, right. and he was only twenty one, but he'd already made three, three albums. Um, his name was Callum Barnes, but he went under the, the name Lumen, you know, Lumens or Luminous, uh-huh. um, and uh, you know, so he was like a big part of that scene. And um, this uh, wonderful lassie, um, Hannah Curry, has made a documentary That's about his life. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, oh, good for her, you know, because she's involved in mental health, you know, charities and stuff. Mm-hmm. And she's, you know, t- it's ironic, really, because my nephew had recorded a, um, a poem for one of the depression charities mm-hmm. and um, just shortly before he, he killed himself. But I had the same thing with my brother as well and that but. So How old was he? Um, he was forty. My brother was a photographer. Um, he he'd moved out to Australia, and so that's where it happened. But that was his third attempt. It's the worst thing, isn't it? It's awful. It's just awful. And I mean, I know that there's a lot of more light on that issue now than there ever was. People would almost see it as I think to be ashamed of. In the past, you know, you wouldn't talk about somebody who'd who'd killed themselves. I, mean, I spent a, a lot of time. One of my sons is getting. Um, schizophrenia uh-huh. and in section quite a lot so I've spent a lot of time in you know the visiting the hospital and getting to know people because so, uh-huh. sure. a lot of people don't get visitors and an awful lot oh I know it's are, awful um, suicidal yeah through mental illness mm-hmm. and there's not enough provision and there's not enough um, certainly not sort of to catch it yeah. You know, because I, I, like one of my friends who was in the hospital for a long time, and every time I went to visit her, she would say to me, I won't see you again because I'm going to kill myself. Oh. So I won't see you again. And it was, it was all, it was, I mean, it's a shame, but then... Um, con- she was convinced. It's heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. She was con- I mean, and lovely family surrounding her and lovely um, fiancé who were there all the time. But she was convinced, she would say, I'm a very bad person, uh-huh. and you don't know, and I don't deserve to be here. Oh, that's so it was awful. Just this, but she's, she's doing well now, but it was just, um, you know, these, these things come into people's minds, mm-hmm. and it could be that if the, had somebody been with them at that time, it wouldn't have happened, or a particular thing, or if, they've even, if they'd seen a film, you know, or if Hi. they'd listened to something, you know... So I think it's I think it's that important that Aye. people are covering these topics. Yeah, and I, but I'm trying to do it in a way that's not going to you know I'm not I don't want to do that sort of emotional button pushing that no. you know you can too easily Absolutely sort of slip not. into that. I'm, I'm trying to come at it in a we, completely we did different the same way. Thing when 
were, I mean, Jim is a songwriter anyway, I'm not a songwriter, but because I knew the person that was the kind of that instigated it all, I, it helped with the lyrics. Uh -huh. But it's not a depressing song. Right. You know, it, it, we, 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 didn't, we didn't want it I, to be that way. Yeah. You know, it's not a depressing. I know, it's, it's how, you, how do you deliver that message? And really, what have I got to say? I mean, you know, I've had to do a lot of soul searching, thinking, is this really a good idea, maybe? Especially when it's so close to you. <clears throat> yeah. And I mean, especially because I've lost all my family in the last few years, all of them. And I don't have kids myself. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it kind of puts you in that funny place where you think, I don't have anybody. There's you nobody left. Richie got on great with your husband. Um, oh, I, I. Um, oh no, we've been together over twenty-five years now, and um, I don't know what I would do without him. And he is really supportive. No, it's great. No, I'm blessed in that sense. So uh -huh. It's lovely. Uh, I didn't ever think I would get married. Never made stay married. <laughs> but um, I know it's it's wonderful. What a special person. I and I'm I'm just thankful for that. Mm -hmm. No, well, can you ask for more? Well. I wish you every success with that, me. And oh, um, thanks. Is there anything else you would like to add, or? Um, oh, no, no, I don't think so. I just, um, I just wanted to try and encourage anybody who's, you know, wanting to make films. Is you don't need to wait on anybody's permission, mm -hmm. and that's what I tell myself. Uh -huh. And it's all out there now. Making films is actually more accessible, more affordable than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. Where it gets tricky is. If you want stars in your movie <laughs> or you want a big crew, then you have to find the, the dosh, unfortunately. But if you've just got a story that you want to tell, if you're really determined, it's very doable and you don't need anybody's permission. Well, that's a smashing message, message to put out. <laughs> so it's been great chatting to you. Oh, there. thanks very and, much. And, Pleasure. Um, I'm sure you'll be, continue to be very successful. Aye. More Touch wood. More awards. <laughs> oh, I will have got um, the next thing coming up, which is the British Independent Film Awards in December, because yeah, the, the film's been nominated. There and you go. Discovery. There's but... no stopping this, girl. Oh, I don't. <laughs> it's another trip to London, though. I, think it's, I better save up for that. <laughs> no, All right, thanks a lot, Pat. Fantastic. Thanks, May. Thanks, Pat. Another inspirational tale from one of our interviewees. I always love it when people say, you don't need permission, because that's exactly the right attitude. That's the attitude you need, and that's what that's the attitude that allows folk to get stuff done. Don't need to ask anybody. Anyway, that's the end of another episode of Jim and Pat's Glasgow West End Chat. Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did, and I'll catch you the next time. Bye for now. <laughs>